LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Ron Edmondson Leadership Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Ron Edmondson Leadership Podcast hosted by LifeWay. Ron's mission is to help church leaders become better leaders. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy. And Ron, in this episode, we're going to talk about mistakes governing boards fall into. So help us get us started here. I'm sure you've seen this in a few contexts. I really have. I've I've seen it in the nonprofit world, business world, uh, you know, certainly in the the church. I've worked uh, with a number of boards. Additionally, I've served on so many boards. If you uh, uh, check out my LinkedIn profile, I went one night I was bored and just kind of listed all the board, different boards I've served on. And uh, it just I've had a lot of different experience as a board member and working with board members. And I have learned that there uh, there are some things that get in the way of being an effective board member. Hmm. And and so I share this, you know, and, and let me preface this by saying I love there's some great resources out there to help you legally be a, a board member. That's not what I'm trying to do here. This is this. These are more practical uh, things that help a board be effective. Um, and and when I sit, when I share that, let me say that I'm not the. Uh, I, I don't even claim to be the expert here. So I'm sharing out of personal experience here. But I think this could be helpful if you're in a church and you you're serving in some sort of leadership capacity. If you're in a nonprofit and you have to work with your board. Or if you're a pastor and you're or a leader and you have to work with a board or some governing authority on a regular basis, hopefully, if we can avoid some of these mistakes, we'll function better. The the board itself and the governing structure will function better. So All that's, right. That's what we're talking about. So 10 of the biggest obstacles that boards fall into. What's the first one? The first one is a masked agreement, M-A-S-K-E-D agreement. Um, uh, this includes uh, being too kind to one another and not managing conflict. The fact is, and, and of course, we've got to be kind to one another, but I've worked with some boards. I've seen some boards where there was an elephant in the room and nobody's willing to address it. I, uh, I'll give you an example. Just had um, uh, worked with a church not too long ago that had a staff position that was toxic and mm. everyone knew it, but the governing board were all friends with this person they were uh you know they'd they'd raise their kids together there was a lot of commonalities together and so they just couldn't stir the conflict that was going to be necessary to address this situation and so they just kind of masked their agreement they just said okay yeah everything's okay it was not okay and they weren't willing to um to to have the hard conversations Hmm. so somebody's hearing that and they go oh man i've been a part of that uh, myself you might be feeling like you're in the minority yes. to speak up and, and to kind of remove that right. f- and try to press into it. Any tips for how to go about that to not uh, – you still want unity. You're not yeah, trying to sure. blow up the unity of the board. How do you take off the mask effectively? Well, one way, obviously, with everything you do, I mean, I, I'm not a proponent of coming into the meeting and blasting everybody or of always throwing a, you know, a hand grenade in the middle of the meeting. That's not what I'm suggesting here. But it could be that you use, you know, somewhat the sandwich approach as, uh, you know, as I've talked about on this podcast and in, in, in blog posts where you do um, – you know, you, you're loving and kind. You address the issue, and you're loving and kind. You mm-hmm. know, um, the the bottom line is it's 
And I don't know that there's a perfect way to do that. Yeah. But the main thing is until someone's willing to raise their flag and say, hey, this is just not right. We've got to do something about it. Um, nothing's going to get any better. Yeah. All right. That's number one. What's number two? Majoring in minutia. Majoring in minutia. Now, I just had a pastor listening to this that says, oh, please, Ron, thank you for saying that, you know, <laughs> uh, because boards need to remain focused on the, on the vision. Uh, they, they need to they're like broad, broad guardrails for the organization. Uh, I have never seen a healthy board or organization relationship where board members get too much into daily operations. It's just not it's it, it's not wise. Um, I, I think we can say this before we recorded this. We're recording this at the Lifeway Studios and we just saw Ben Mandrell, who's. Mm-hmm. Uh, president of, of Lifeway, and we were just talking about this, a, a, about how a good board, good board members don't get into the weeds of the organization. They 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 set standards, uh, broad standards that are healthy to live under, and then they allow the the, uh, the the team that are on the ground to run the organization. As you're speaking about that, I was speaking with a, a church, and it was an elder of a church who kind of just stepped into this position. And he's trying to figure out what is my role. And I think some people on boards are like, are always asking that question. Yeah, sure. And he immediately wanted to get into the weeds. Yes. He wanted to know, I want to know the details of the staff meetings. I want to know the details of the day-to-day. Mm. What would you tell him? He comes to you and shares all that. What would you tell him? I would say, uh, no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I think it, it it's, a, it's a conversation of helping them understand how this is going to work and be effective. Mm. It may be a difficult conversation, uh, but I don't think it even has to until that person is is unwilling to to recognize their role. So I think it begins with education of, of just in order for this to be effective, in order for us to be most effective, there's a role for you to play and there's a role for us to play. And that should be done. Uh, and, and, and maybe there's a whole other podcast here that we could potentially do in the future. That should be done as with the onboarding mm. of that of that set person, expectations yeah, set right expectations yeah. early. If it's if they're already there and existing, you're going to have to have some rather awkward or, or difficult conversations, and they may not have to be. If that is cast, if the vision is cast of roles. So here's the role of a good board member. Here's the role of of the staff or the people that are charged with implementing this. If those are clearly defined for somebody, they may say, "Okay, I get it." Nobody's ever explained that to me yeah. before. They may not. Many times they won't. And that's when the conversations have to get more difficult. Yep. That's helpful. All right. What's number three? Decision paralysis. Decision paralysis. Uh, Boards can study things over and over, but at some point a decision has to be made. It's very frustrating. It's frustrating to staff. It's even frustrating to some of the board members when you keep talking about the same things and you can't pull the trigger on a decision. Uh, at the end of the day, boards have to make calls, and they are sometimes popular, sometimes not. But somebody has to to move uh, move forward. There's always multiple ways of doing stuff. Now, again, that doesn't mean boards have to make the decision every time they come together and 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 don't stew on things and pray over things and and that sort of thing. But decision paralysis is a, is a terrible thing for a board to fall into. Hmm. And what's the next one? Positioning uh, or postponing, rather, tough decisions, postponing tough decisions. 
uh, kind of goes back to that decision paralysis, but this is a little different. This is where they simply can't make the hard calls. I mentioned the staff member that everybody knew something needed to be done about. Uh, or it could be, um, um, you know, let's say you're a church, um, you're a church with multiple campuses, and you know one of them is just not going to make it, you know. Closing that could be a really difficult decision, but it could be the right decision. Um, the longer you put off that hard decision, the harder it becomes and the harder it will be to, to be made. So somebody listening to this is going, okay, those last two, pretty close together, but that postponing tough decisions, they may go, man, I have been kicking something down the road because I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. And then I'm talking as a board. Hey, we keep talking about... What are we going to do with this facility that we need to get out of? Where's going to keep going or staff member? How <clears throat> how do you not just kick it down the road, but you actually try to deal with it effectively by also giving it the right amount of time? Because some of it is you said, sure. hey, we want to pray about it. We want to right. stew over it. We want to think of all the options. How do you balance looking at all the options yeah, sure. and postponing until because we just don't want to deal with it? Well, and it always is a balance and you may get it wrong. Um, so, first of all, take the heat off of mm. you have to make every decision right. You may make the wrong decision. The, the difference in decision paralysis and postponing tough decisions is that in decision paralysis, you can't make up your mind between multiple decisions. Mm -hmm. In postponing tough decisions, usually you know what you need to do. You're just not doing it. So, yes, it will probably disrupt some things for a while because you made the tough call. And yet at the same time, you know that it has to be done. Um, so in either of those cases, what I would say is um, at some point, we got to take a risk and make the decision regardless of the outcome. That's what leaders do, and that's what good governing boards do. And it could be um, if you're one of those board members, it could be that you simply throw the motion on the table yeah. and, and see where it goes. Um, hey, I, no one else has brought this up. But I know we know we all agree on this, so I'm going to make a motion. We do whatever that is. That's good. That was number four. What's number five? Awkward organizational relationships. Awkward organizational relationships. I've known board members that have way too close of a relationship with one person on the staff, and it clouds their outlook of the rest of the staff. Uh, this could be with the CEO. It could be with somebody else in a less visible position. But it creates tension in the organization when the staff feels uh, – when certain staff feel that other staff is untouch untouchable because of a board relationship. So should those, let's say, let's go elder board here. Somebody is, depending on how churches do it, maybe it's recommended from the congregation. Maybe it's recommended from the elders themselves. Should those type of, those who have close relationships with the lead pastor, should they not be considered? I don't know. I think that what, what I would say is, uh, can they... Put that aside. Can they put that aside? Okay. Because for me... I have always tried to surround myself as a leader with with two things. One, somebody who's strong enough to um, uh, to. Well, let me put the first one first. Someone that I have a relationship with that I feel like I can work with. So usually a lot of times that's somebody I'm I am very acquainted with or somebody I would even call a, a friend or even a close friend. But the second step to that is somebody who's strong enough and has enough integrity mm -hmm. that they're going to call when the wrong decision is being made. So they're going to call me on the carpet if they say, Ron, 
I don't think this is the way we ought to be doing this. I want both of those in place. So the good relationship, but also the willingness to work even outside of me if it's for the good of the church or the organization. Hmm. What's number six? Shared complacency. Shared complacency. Uh, I've especially seen this one in the nonprofit world where board members are mostly unpaid. It's uh, it's where they um, they assume the role, but they have so many other obligations, so many other things that they're working on that uh, that the board is just uh, it's just in figurehead. You know, it's just in position. They're not re- they're not really contributing. They're not really. Uh, it, you're kind of waiting for someone else to take the the lead on a project, you know, and and they're just they sit in a room, they go through the motions, they uh, adopt the minutes, all the things that that they have to do, but no one's really super excited about what they're doing. <laughs> What's number seven? Unhealthy personal interests. Unhealthy personal interests. This is similar to the relationship thing, but it's different. This is where. A board member has one pet project or one thing that they're so passionate about, they can't get behind any other issues. Mm-hmm. So they're always going to push for that one issue through the board. Now, that's uh, I, I've seen this in a church, for example, that has a school in their building. And and uh, that one board member has kids who go to the, go there. Well, it could be there's difficult relationships with the school. It could be the school's not even a good fit in the building anymore. And that board member can't move off of that because they have that one interest in mm-hmm place. It could be a uh, some, uh, I'll give you another very specific example. It could be where that one board member, and let's say they're at a church again, and there's a mission that they've supported in Africa, and I'm totally making this one up, but there's some mission they've supported in Africa for years and years and years. And so the only they're always going to levy their influence. They're going to leverage their influence for that ministry, even if it jeopardizes other ministries because of that unfair interest. Hmm. Now, that may mean they need to put that aside. They want to give their own money to it, give all you want to give. But you come to the table for the good of this organization, regardless of what other interests. Yeah, that was the phrase that kept coming up was for the good of the whole. Yeah. And always keeping that on the front of your mind. Absolutely. How do we make And this would be an interesting question. How because even here, personal interests Hmm. should as a board member Like, I should be thinking of a family that I know their context and what they would be caring for. Like, as a church, as a community, it's not just my personal interest. It's others as well. So you're representing everyone. Yeah. So try to keep not just your personal interest, but everyone's. What's going to keep this thing going for the long haul? Right. What's number eight? Board alliances are divisive. Um, Now, I realize that sounds like a contradiction in in terms, alliances and divisive, but uh, sometimes cliques develop on a board and it begins to position people against each other. While I'm not always a proponent of reaching a unanimous consent, I think it's um, I think it should you should strive for that. But um, but sometimes divisions on the board are often based formed by relationships with other board members rather than doing the right thing again. The, for the good of the whole. And so you just have to be careful that there's not cliques within the board, certain uh, that that will vote in blocks, so yep. to speak, and that sort of thing. Sounds like uh, government a little bit yeah. in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. What about number nine? Board members rotate too quickly. Hmm. Um, I once served on a board where most board members rotated every year or every other year. And by the time you learned what you were doing, uh, you moved off the board. 
and it was it was really hard to get any kind of traction going behind projects, move the organization forward because you just weren't serving long enough to really make a difference. Well, the last one. That, let's let's go to the next one because it's going to be the exact opposite. That's exactly right. When board members stay too long, uh, the counter is also true. Now, I know there are some um, th- some board members of churches, for example, that serve for life. I'm not the biggest fan of that, to be honest. I, I know it happens, and if it happens in your church, I'm not telling you to stop that necessarily. Maybe that's even your theology, and that's okay. Mm. But at some point, I think all of us could could agree we become stale. We can't see the changes that are needed because we've been staring at them for so long. Um, you know, I, I served uh, – uh, try not to – share too much of the specifics, but I I had a board one time that, frankly, some of them had stayed too long and they just their interests had gone to other places and they were no longer effective to the organization or to me at that point because their interests just weren't there any longer. And they could have stayed for a lot longer, but they really needed to move on. Hmm. So I'm not trying to put you on the spot. That's okay. Somebody's sitting here going, well, you just told me don't stay too long. Yeah. And don't be too short. That's right. So from your experience, mm-hmm. what's a good sweet spot there? You know, I, and this is not prescriptive. No, this is not, your opinion. Not, not at all. I, I would say, um, well, let me give you a context. So one of the things that we did in, in one of the churches where I, I worked was we moved the number from three years to five years. So it had been three years. And we moved it to five years. And the reason we did was not that that's the perfect spot, but what we learned is in three years, it took a year to a year and a half just to learn. And then you only had a year and a half Hmm. to two years to really exhibit the benefit of that. Whereas for five years, if it took you a year to learn, you got four great years out of that person. And it was not too long. It didn't seem like to where they were going to become stale. They weren't going to be able to see. So, you know, again, I don't know that five is the number by any means, but that's in a context of of one way we did that. Uh, I do think three years is fast, although three years is probably in all the contexts I've served in, boards and I've served on and boards I've served with threes about you know th- a lot of them have three and then you have the option to do another three okay that I can get that that m- makes sense for me uh, it just made sense in our context let's move that to five you know you're committed for five years there's not an option to go beyond that and necessarily you could I mean again there's no hard set rules on this but in our context that five just sort of made sense yep Well, once again, these are just observations that Ron has made. They're not prescriptive, but these are 10 obstacles that can get in the way of a governing board being effective. So thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful. If you're enjoying these episodes, please help us continue providing them by liking, sharing, reviewing, subscribing. It really helps other leaders like yourself find the podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Ron Edmondson Leadership Podcast. For more information about Ron, check out ronedmondson.com. For more leadership resources from Lifeway, check out leadership.lifeway.com.